Welcome to the Joy Joya podcast, where jewelry is joy and everyone is encouraged to add more polish and sparkle to the world with topics ranging from marketing tips to business development, best practices and beyond. This is the go-to podcast for ambitious jewelry industry dreamers like you. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and professionals so they can thrive while adding more beauty to the world. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. As we all know, jewelry is joy, so I'll gladly seize any opportunity to talk about it. This is episode 215, and today I'll be sharing an interview with an SEO expert who's going to help you make sense of the confusing world of search engine marketing. I met this person earlier this year when I hired her to help me with a client project, and we connected on all things SEO and content. I thought she'd be the perfect person to share with you, my audience members, to help you understand SEO in a way that's not scary or overwhelming. I'll share more about my guest in just a little bit, but here's a preview of what we'll be discussing. What are some of the most impactful tactics that e-commerce jewelry business owners can be implementing? Why should e-commerce business owners consider publishing blog content? And in Google Analytics, what are the most important metrics to track for SEO and for business success in general? And of course, much more. But before we get to the solid gold of this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both an audio and video component. So you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. I love creating this content as my act of service to you, my awesome listeners and viewers, and you can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other jewelry dreamers find it too. In this segment of the podcast, I give out my Sparkle Award for the week. So during this segment, I highlight a jewelry brand that is impressing me and inspiring me with their marketing. The Sparkle Award is also interactive, so you can visit sparkleaward.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. This week's Sparkle Award goes to Monica Rich Kosan, a jewelry brand that just won the Accessory Council's 2022 Design Excellence Award for Tech and innovation. So the brand's design your own custom charm necklace landing page was actually the winner of this award. I've long admired the Monica Rich Kosan brand for their innovative email marketing in particular. They do an awesome job at personalization and they really do an excellent job of highlighting the dynamic and sentimental nature of their products. So I was super excited to see that the brand won this award. So I went to go check out the landing page and you should too. I'll put the link in the show notes. It has a dynamic video that shows the charms being attached in various combinations and on different types of chains. It also explains the three steps for building a custom charm necklace and then shows how to wear it how it works, 
and the brand's favorite pairings for customers who need some inspiration to get started. This is truly one of the best customer experiences online that I've seen for personalized jewelry and any brand doing custom pieces should look at it as an example and a reference point for what's possible in offering customers like flexibility and fun when it comes to the experience. As I mentioned, you can visit sparklawar.com to nominate a jewelry brand that's inspiring you these days, and I might feature your submission on a future podcast episode. Let's discuss some recent news related to jewelry for marketing. Each week, I share my thoughts about three relevant articles, and you can get the links in the show notes. The first article comes from venturebeat.com, and it's called Why You Shouldn't Cut Back on Marketing During a Recession. So this year, have you noticed a decrease in your revenue, especially when compared to last year? I would say many consumers this year, especially um, in Q2, Q3 and Q4, have been hesitant to spend on non-essential purchases like jewelry, especially with inflation, talk of a recession, etc. So in this period of time where you may see um, a slowdown in sales, you may be tempted to pull back on your marketing efforts and your marketing spend. But the opposite is actually true. You should be maintaining or even doubling down on your marketing. So one really great quote from this article is, if you don't spend on marketing, quote, doing so may leave the brand in a less competitive position when the economy recovers. In fact, many research studies have confirmed that the best strategy is to continue marketing and often increase investments during a slowdown to capitalize on long-term ROI, end quote. So even though customers may not necessarily buy, be buying as much during a slowdown, like what I have seen in Q3 of this year, that doesn't mean they're not consuming content. Every day, they're still on social media, they're still looking at their email and SMS campaigns, they still might be doing some online and in-person window shopping, they're definitely paying attention. So when it is time for them to purchase, when it's no longer a recession period, if you're out there in front of them during the slow time, the customers will know exactly who to purchase from once the rough waters become still again, because they will remember you and they will know that you took the time to be in front of them consistently. So how can you really navigate this time if you are dealing with this issue? Utilize empathetic and authentic messaging to ensure that your brand doesn't seem out of touch with the economic climate. You don't necessarily have to emphasize any low pricing or discounting, just continue focusing on value. And then also if you want to make the most of your marketing spend or really ensure that you're putting marketing behind the right things, focus on those best-selling core tried and true products and put all the marketing effort behind those. So my main takeaway is your competitors may also be thinking about pulling back on their marketing spend resources. 
This could be the ultimate opportunity for you to gain market share, the attention of their customers, your competitors' customers, and remain memorable in those customers' eyes. So get in the front of the line while others are potentially shrinking, pulling back. The next article comes from marketingbrew.com and it's called Why Some Brands Are Making Small Scale Zines in Magazines. Do you remember zines from like the 90s or that maybe some of you will know what I'm talking about. There was a Harvey Danger song and he's like, I want to publish zines. Anyway, maybe some of you are not familiar with that term, but basically a zine is like an indie underground magazine, usually smaller in scale. So what does this have to do with marketing? So a few years ago, branded printed magazines kind of had a moment. Companies like Casper, ASOS, and Airbnb experimented with having branded publications, which was like, they're basically magazines where you know it's coming from the brand, but it's not all exclusively like a catalog or an advertisement. They have interesting content that looks like any other magazine. There are articles, beautiful photography. But since then, all of the brands I just mentioned have stopped publishing magazines because the truth is, and nobody is surprised, they're not great at driving sales. And sometimes I think it's hard to justify the cost and effort when companies like these have other things they want to be investing in. I would say that's the first thing that will get cut. But according to this article from Marketing Brew, some brands are now coming back to these smaller scale publications, but they're even unbranded, like just for the sake of community building, of like adding something to the conversation of the industry that they're in and speaking to a niche audience. And I find this is a very interesting way to think about marketing and could be adopted by someone thinking outside of the box in the jewelry industry. So for example, Oatly, which makes oat milk, they're tapping into a more niche market with their new magazine called Hey Barista, which doesn't have their name, their brand name on the cover. It's a little bit hard to even know that this is an Oatly publication. But what they're doing is they're sending, they printed 10,000 copies of this printed zine. They're sending it to Oatly's coffee shop partners in the US and Europe and also making it available online. And Mary Kate Melly Smitherman, who's Oatly's Senior Director of Communications, says, the project is a way to not only tap into interesting stories, but to also give photographers, illustrators, and writers in the barista community a forum for their work. So what Oatly is really trying to achieve is a conversation with the community. They want to strengthen their relationship with these coffee shops, their coffee partners, and they want to build their reputation as a beverage that should be used with like really high quality coffee. So it's not focused on sales. That's not the goal here, but it's a really strategic way to create partnerships that will help their business grow. I really love this idea and approach. It's super creative and out of the box. So my main takeaway is I understand this is outside of the jewelry industry, 
but Oatly, here's the brand trying something new with an old school platform print and taking really big risks with it, honestly. It's very cool. So what maybe could you do that's unique with print marketing that takes an old form of marketing, but really turns it on its head and makes it new again? And then the last article comes from Retail Brew, and it's called, This Marketplace is Helping Small Brands Find Short-Term Retail Space. So the startup Poppable currently has about 10,000 brands that it works with on its pop-up marketplace from food stands to bridal boutiques. And what it's doing is helping connect connect these 10,000 brands with the 1,500 to 2,000 vacancies it has nationwide through its retail real estate partners. Those including Simon, Brookfield Property Partners, basically companies that manage malls, strip malls, things like that. So in its latest partnership with Walmart, which just joined the Poppable platform recently, during the holiday season, Walmart is allowing small brands to rent out short-term front-of-store space in time for holiday shopping season. They have 150 spaces available in states like Texas, Illinois, Georgia, and Colorado. And it really provides opportunities for brands that are looking to grow their pop-up presence and to get in front of customers in an in-person way that perhaps might have been out of reach for them previously. So it's really like a, a dating app for brands and retailers. Especially at this time during the holidays, demand for this retail space is booming And also short-term leases can be difficult to come by. A lot of retail landlords do not want to do short-term leases. So this is a really cool opportunity. My main takeaway from this article is if you want your brand to have an in-person presence, but you don't have one or there aren't a lot of opportunities to do that, then you really have so few excuses now. Poppable is just one example, but there are a lot of other platforms for connecting brands with retail or other types of space. And it's easier than ever to find that short-term retail space for your business. So definitely something to consider in the new year or even for next holiday. For more information about any of these articles, check out the links I provide in the show notes. As I mentioned earlier, my guest today is an SEO expert with an emphasis on strategic content creation. Alana Brannigan is the founder of Harvest Moon Marketing, a boutique digital marketing agency that specializes in SEO and content marketing. She has more than six years of experience as an SEO specialist and has worked with companies of all sizes, from multi-million dollar corporations to mom and pop shops. What I like best about talking shop with Alana is that she has a way of speaking about SEO that doesn't make you want to fall asleep or get super overwhelmed. She's able to explain pretty complex concepts in inviting and accessible terms. So without further delay, let's get into beginner SEO with Alana. Hey, Alana, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you as a guest today and to talk about SEO and content. Thanks. Happy to be here. 
Yeah. So tell our listeners and viewers, let's start with how did you first become involved with SEO and marketing? Sure. So I've been in marketing for um, just over eight years and specializing in SEO for the past six or so. I actually started um, in my last year of university. I started um, freelancing on a freelance platform with, uh, and I started with copywriting. And that naturally led me towards SEO because they're so interconnected. Um, and, you know, I just really, I connected more with SEO. So I gravitated towards that. And since then, I've, I've worked with clients of all shapes and sizes from startups and mom and pop shops to multi-million dollar businesses. Um, and what I like most about SEO is the fact that it's something of a puzzle to me and you've got to try to find the right combination to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think even I, I originally started my marketing career with writing and I feel like just like you, that naturally leads to SEO because if you work digitally and you want your writing to be found, you kind of have to know SEO. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Definitely. So what are the ways that you support your clients, those business owners with SEO? Um. So I help them with all aspects of SEO. So there's typically um, said to be three main parts of SEO. That's on-page, off-page, and technical SEO. Um, but what I think is really important when any client first comes to me um, is to start with an audit. A lot of people just want to jump in, but it's really important that as an SEO, you get a deep understanding of what's going on at the, uh, in the site so you can create a strategy that really works for the business. Otherwise you might find some costly, um, some things might pop up down the line and be some costly surprises that could easily be avoided if you would have started with that audit and got that deep understanding. It's such a good tip, I think, for people who are listening or watching a lot of times, you know, to cut corners, to save on budget, they want to just like jump right to execution and they forget that strategy is involved. But doing that audit will really give you such a great understanding of where you are so that just like you said, it might be more work, more investment up front, but you're going to end up saving money in the long term by doing things the right way. Definitely. So speaking to like e-commerce stores specifically, because I know a lot of my audience, they have some kind of e-commerce storefront, whether it complements a physical store or some other sales channel. So when it comes to SEO for e-commerce, what would you say are some of the more impactful tactics that business owners can be implementing? Sure. So first and foremost, I think it's really important to break your site down into main categories and subcategories. So what this looks like, for example, if you have a jewelry e-commerce store, your main categories would typically be things like necklaces, earrings, rings, bracelets. Those are your main categories. Subcategories look something more like if your main category is earrings, your subcategories would be things like stud earrings, hoop earrings, dangle earrings, whatever kind of earrings you have, you can create a subcategory for those. Those are really important because you're targeting keywords that you typically otherwise wouldn't be targeting on your site with those main keywords. Also, as longer tail keywords, they're typically less competitive than your main keywords, so you've got a greater likelihood of ranking for them. For people who aren't familiar, what's a long long tail keyword? So just um, phrases or, you know, longer tail keywords are things like stud earrings or drop hoop earrings. Um, so anything with more than one word, I guess we could, or a phrase we could consider a longer tail keyword. 
Yeah. And they're usually more specific. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so another thing to touch on with those main categories and subcategory pages, it's really important that you're also writing a description for them. This will give more context to Google and other search engines about uh, of what the page is about. So this could be a couple hundred words um, at the top of your page under your title or at the bottom of your page below your products. That's a great And tip. this also, yeah. And then one other thing um, that also connects to this, um, I wanna make sure uh, your listeners have the most value is um, making sure that we're creating internal links within these descriptions. So if you, um, if you're writing a description for stud earrings, let's say you want to make sure that you're linking back to your main category earrings, because this internal linking, whether it's on your category pages or anywhere on your site, um, it will establish a hierarchy on your site and also help improve your user experience. Definitely. So what are some other tactics that you think are, are really impactful? Another one I would mention is, um, making sure your meta descriptions and, and title tags are optimized. So what this means is anytime you look at search engine page results, you're gonna see 10 listings there. And so the title there is your title tag and the small summary you see below that is a meta description. So you always want your title tag to be the heading or the title of your page. And then the meta description should be a summary of no more than 155 characters kind of um, saying what the page is about, giving a short description, but it should also include a call to action. So whether that be shop now, learn more, um, whatever you would like it to be, whatever's relevant, um, it should be included there because that will um, improve your click-through rate. So when people see that call to action, they'll be more likely to click on your listing when it's in the search engine page results. And also, again, it's gonna give more context to search engines about what your page is about. And that's, that's really important. <laughs> One question I get a lot from business owners, especially if they have a really big product catalog and they haven't really spent time focusing on metal meta descriptions and title tags, they want to know, like, do they all need to be unique? Do I have to kind of write these all out manually or is there a way to automate it or kind of save time in the process? Do you have any thoughts or tips about that? I think title tags can definitely be automated and there can be similarities um, between your meta descriptions, but I by no means do I think that all of them should be the same across the board. Yeah, but it's definitely a big time investment, but I think it pays off, would you agree? Definitely, definitely. So one thing I like to recommend or I'm always talking about is content, especially written content and the benefits for SEO. And I want, you know, my listeners and viewers to hear from an SEO expert, why should they consider publishing blog content? So as you said, blogs are so, so important. Um, it gives you the opportunity to drive more traffic to your site for keywords that you would not otherwise be ranking for, kind of in the same way as those um, categories that we touched on earlier. It also helps you to demonstrate your expertise and become an authority in your niche. You also need to become an authority in your niche in the eyes of search engines. So the more content that you have on a topic, so in your niche, the more likely search engines are going to um, 
you know, want to want to um, index you or rank you on their search engines because they see you as an authority. Yeah. But that being said, we shouldn't be blogging for the sake of blogging. We need to make sure that we're creating really useful and valuable content. So it can be something that, you know, inspires, educates, helps someone. Um, it could, yeah, anything that you think could pique someone's interest, I think you can write it on. So whether that's ways to wear gold jewelry, um, jewelry for a certain face, uh, face shape, birthstones, whatever, as long as it's useful um, and in-depth, I think uh, that's a good place to start. That last point you made is so important. There are a lot of jewelry websites that I come across where I can just tell that the blog was written by an SEO agency that's a little bit stuck in the past in their like approach to optimizing for SEO because they aren't articles that anyone would actually care about or want to read or are interesting. They literally look like they were simply optimized for like a specific keyword. So we want to get away from that mindset and making SEO work for us, but also providing really valuable, interesting content as well. Definitely. I think a good rule of thumb is if you uh, have a keyword or a topic in mind, the best thing to do is search that, look at the top results, see how long their content is. That's a good baseline. You can, you know, kind of base um, your word count on that and include as much information and more than the top results, because that's the goal, right? To create the most valuable content on the internet. So it's really that's a great tip. Yeah, that's a great tip. Just using like a Google search to see what's out there and starting with that and seeing how you can like be even better than that. Mm -hmm. So what are some other types of content besides blog posts that you think e-commerce business owners could be publishing? So I think blogs, definitely the main one. Um, if you're a local business with a physical store, as well as an e-commerce site, um, it's likely that you go to Google My Business Profile, and it never hurts to publish posts on there. It, that is not going to help your rankings, but it will help you have a more robust profile when people do find your uh, your listing on, on Google. Yeah, that's a good tip. So I... I'm always talking about how important Google Analytics is. It's a free tool. If you don't have it, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but then we get past that point. And then especially the solopreneurs, the small business owners, they never check in with it because they're not sure, like, what are the most important metrics they should be tracking for business success, for website traffic to help them with SEO. So what are some of those things that these business owners should be looking at in Google Analytics? So first and foremost, of course, acquisition is really important because it will show you where your visitors are actually coming from and help you inform your strategy from there or inform how well your current strategy is doing. So acquisition will show you if you're getting your um, your visitors from social, from organic, from email, whatever, it's all in there. And so that's really important. You know, also comparing year over year, quarter over quarter, month over month, so you can track your progress. Another one to keep in mind would be bounce rate. So bounce rate means um, it's the ratio of viewers that are, or sorry, people that are visiting your site and leaving after only viewing one page. So there's always going to be some, some percentage of a bounce 
technology on your site, and that's okay. If you have 80 or above, that's way, way too much. Um, but you also need to investigate why you're having a bounce rate if you are having a higher bounce rate. Is your internal linking failing? Are your call to actions on your site um, not as impactful as they could be? It gives you the opportunity to kind of see what pages are not performing as well or, or not, um, you know, people aren't converting on the site if, they're, if there's a high bounce rate. So investigating why that's happening. I love looking at bounce rate and I love looking at it in conjunction with what you said, the acquisition. So like if a lot mm-hmm. of people are coming to your site from organic search, so search engines, and that's your top method of people coming to your site, but there's a super high bounce rate, like 80%, it means probably maybe the keywords that you're ranking for are not in line with like the types of customers that you want to be attracting because they're not actually finding like the thing that they want to find when they do come to your site. So it's always important to look at these things together too. Definitely. And that's a big topic in SEO is the search intent. So everybody has some sort of intent in mind when they type something into the search bar. So we want to make sure that we're meeting that intent. And if we are, like you've mentioned, they're not going to navigate away from the page. Yeah, that's a great point. The one thing everyone's freaked out about, (laughs) at least if they've heard it, maybe not everyone knows about it, but Google Analytics is changing next year in June, I believe, right? Something like that. July. July, yeah. So currently Google is using universal analytics and then they are moving towards something else. So what are some of the changes coming to Google Analytics next year? So the main change is, as you mentioned, I think the thing that most people yeah, need to be aware of is that right now we have universal analytics, as you've touched on. Google is pulling data and putting it into your universal analytics only until July 1st, 2023. After that date, if you haven't upgraded to GA4, which is the new iteration of universal analytics, um, no more data is going to be pulled from your website into analytics. So everybody, please up, like set up your GA4 profile. The main difference here is the way in which they're tracking um, your metrics. So right now, they track your metrics by pulling raw data from your site through cookies, whereas GA4 is now more focused on AI learning. And so this will be the main difference between UA and GA4. Is it, would you say it's like a really big learning curve to transition from one to the next? And how can someone kind of overcome that? I think it's a bit intimidating when you first um, go onto the GA4 platform. But once you start digging around, honestly, it is not the main things that you are going to be looking at. Not that different. And also, if you want to set it up, it's pretty seamless. Um, if you go into Google Analytics, there's just one button that you have to click and you're going to be able to import your data from UA to GA4. So what are some other tactics, tips, insights that we haven't covered that you think are super important or that would be beneficial to the audience? Sure. So one thing that is really timely at the moment, it's the Google Helpful Content Update, which began rolling out um, at the end of August. So Google themselves have mentioned that this is part of their ongoing effort to reduce low quality content and make it easier to find content that feels authentic and useful in search. So this is their main overall goal 
here. So this update, it targets websites that have a relatively high amount of unsatisfying or unhelpful content. This update is really a wake-up call for uh, websites that have a lot of, you know, past content that they haven't looked at in a long time. Um, Google looks at all of your, your content holistically on your website. They don't just look at the new content. So now's the time to go back and look at all that past content. Is it still relevant? Is it still factual? Is it still providing value? If not, maybe it's time to update that content, delete it, or um, amalgamate these web pages with other ones that are more relevant. That's such a good uh, thing for people to know and speaks to what we said before about offering value. So you can't just like set and forget your website. You have to be regularly checking in with it, seeing what pages are performing. How can you update and expand upon what you're offering? Because you don't want your content to be a, a dinosaur out there in the internet. <laughs> Definitely. And content audits have always been a really powerful tool to increase people's SEO performance. It reduces bloat on your website. It Sometimes websites are accidentally internally competing with themselves for the same keywords. This really confuses Google. They're not sure um, why a website is doing that. And so therefore you typically will not rank for, for either of those pages. So there's a lot of benefits to doing this kind of um, content on it. So this has been so helpful, Alana. I know that a lot of people who listen or watch this podcast struggle with content. Is it worth it? What can I do to make it better? So very valuable. And I know people will love this. So what else would you like to share about your business and your work? Um, what would I like to share? Just if you want to reach me, um, you can reach me on my website. Um, as you've mentioned, I am the founder of Harvest Moon Marketing. Our URL is harvestmoonmktg.com. Right now, I'm I'm offering my clients help with these content audits because it is such a timely thing. We need to, you know, make sure that websites are not penalized and we're not losing traffic. Um, so feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about what we've talked about with GA4, getting it set up. Um, I'm here. Thanks, Alana. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. What did you think about my interview with Alana? To learn more about her, check out the links in the show notes. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can always email me larissa at l-a-r-y-s-s-a at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To purchase a signed copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy, visit joyjoya.com book for more information. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with Joy Joya, visit joyjoya.com, where you can sign up to download our free eBooks about various topics in jewelry marketing.